Welcome to the One Minute Preceptor Podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, get clinical rotation advice and tips to prepare for your externships in healthcare. We interview preceptors and physician educators who will prepare you for your rotation and improve your clinical experience. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Renee Davis is an RN, MSN, and Certified Nursing Professional Development Specialist. She's also an author and national speaker on the changing educational environment in nursing. Today, we're going to investigate some of the educational technologies that are being implemented in nursing education and the benefits that we can see and how they might overlap with other healthcare education designs and platforms. Renee, how are you doing? Good. We've been discussing these topics on educational technologies in healthcare for a while now, so it's great to have you on and we can discuss these in a little more depth and possibly see some future directions for how education might go in nursing, in medicine, in healthcare in general, and even to the clinical scenario. Absolutely. So maybe you can tell us a little line or two about what you do and how you got into it. So I am a nurse educator. And so as you mentioned, I am a registered nurse by trade. So I've been a registered nurse for 18 years. I've never been one of those folks that can say like, oh, I've always wanted to be a nurse since I was a little girl. That's actually not my story. I wanted to be like in fashion or journalism, something along those lines. And then I also had wanted to always be a teacher as a little girl, always kind of playing, pretending to be teacher, whatever it is. And then as I got older, you know, that kind of faded and I wanted to do something in healthcare. I grew up with a generation of parents that were more so very different from my generation of parents where you're kind of okay with whatever your child wants to try to strive for. My parents are of an older generation, so they're more like go into something that's very stable, you know, high yielding pay and all this kind of stuff. And so I looked into physical therapy. That really wasn't my route either, but I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. My mom kind of helped me out and said, you know, maybe you should try nursing. And at that time, I have an older sister who's 12 years older than me. She's also a nurse, also in nursing education as well. I saw what she was going through as nursing was very different back in like the late 80s, early 90s. And so I said, I don't really think that's up my alley, but okay, I'll try it. And I did, and I ended up really liking the coursework and things like that. And so eventually got into nursing, was in like adult med surge, typical, usual beginner track for many nurses, at least at that time. But I've always been the kind of person that I can't really hang out in the same zone for too long. You know, once I kind of reach my learning cap, I'm kind of like ready to move on. So I stayed within nursing. However, I really had a lot of diversified roles. So I was on the units for a little while. And even while I was working within the hospital, I changed units quite often. So my resume always looked like a flight risk, but it was really just because I wanted a different experience. And if it was available, I wanted to take it. And then I went into home care. I think that's when the education bug kind of came back around from my childhood years. And I said, wow, because home care is patient education. And so I really enjoyed that piece of it. I decided to pick up a gig as a clinical instructor for bachelor nursing students. And I think that really kicked things off. And so from there, I started to build my path to nursing education, where that's my specialty right now. And that's been the case for the past 11 years and counting. 
Great. Yeah, you have so much diversity in your experiences there. And we have a lot of clinicians and preceptors, clinical educators in general on this show, but with your diverse background and experiences, I wanted to change our icebreaker question a little bit from its normal question regarding the clinical environment and just kind of more broadly ask, what is the most significant moment that you've really experienced in nursing? Well, I can tell you, at least in nursing education, what really was somewhat of an eye-opener for me was I decided to pick up, yet again, another side gig working in academia. So in nursing education, you have like this big umbrella of nursing education, right, which might be a little bit different from medical education and some of the other health sciences. In nursing education, you have this umbrella and you have education, right? And then you have the nurse educator that's in academia. So those are our faculty and professors, right, in nursing schools. And then you have those that work in professional development. Oftentimes, the two overlap in terms of their goals and what their main functions and purpose is in terms of just all being under that education umbrella. However, they are very distinctly different. And so I was mainly working in professional development, but decided that I wanted to go back into academia because remember, I did do some clinical instructing for a little while for a school of nursing. But I decided to go back into academia in the classroom. So that would have been my first time in a classroom with my nursing students. And these were capstone students. So they were in their senior year last semester. I had to teach a six hour (laughs) class. Yes, I said six hour class on a Friday in the spring on transitioning to professional nursing practice. So that alone set me up for failure. That alone was just like, wow, I really did it to myself this time because I selected that class, right? When I walked in, what was so significant, and this was maybe, we're in 2020, this was maybe like five years ago, four or five years ago, I had always been into educational technology or I'd always been tinkering with things and I have older parents, so they would always give me the new devices in the house and say, okay, Renee, you go set it up. I never looked at instructions. I just opened the box and just went at it. That was always my thing as well. So I walk into this classroom with these millennial students now, instead of seeing notebooks, which is what I thought I would be seeing, because even though I was teaching in professional development, it's a very different household, I'll call it, right? Our classroom in professional development is very different. So I walk into the classroom and I see a bunch of laptops and mobile devices, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And my students definitely noticed it. I had about 30 students, and they definitely noticed it right off the bat. (laughs) And I said, wow, this is very different. And that's when it hit me. That's when I saw the significance of educational technology. And that's when I saw the significance of how our learners are changing. And it's not what I would have expected coming into the classroom arena. I expected notebooks and things like that. And so funny enough, my students being so accommodating at that time, I rarely had to tell anyone to put their phones away. And what I was getting hit with when I did mention that was like, you know, can you put away the devices we're in a discussion right now would be, oh, I'm taking notes, right? So I'm like, oh, I mean, yeah, I guess they are. And mind you, I love technology, but I just never really thought of its use and its integration in the classroom. And that was when it hit me like, wait a minute, why this, this should be happening. This is okay to happen. So I would say that that was like a significant eye-opening turning point for me and my educational career, nursing education. <laughs> a Friday six-hour course. That wouldn't have won too well for me as well, <laughs> I guess. Oh, and it was beautiful weather every Friday. Never any rain. Of course not during my time they're teaching. So they're looking out the window. They're looking at all the games being played outside. And oh, man, I had to get very creative with that class. Very creative. 
And I'm glad that you brought up the educational technologies that you were seeing there and that it was so eye-opening because there's a great segue into some of the discussions we're going to have here. So how do you think we can use some of these ed tech, these technologies in healthcare? How can clinicians and staff begin to use them properly? In healthcare, that's probably a really big umbrella, right? So if you're talking like healthcare in practice, you know, of course, we need to get better equipped with our knowledge on these EMRs that's coming out and not getting so angry when there's always all these updates that have to take place with our EMRs and appreciating our informaticists that are there and really utilizing them to the maximum capacities because they're there as a resource, right? And just kind of really embracing the technology that's there for point of care with our patients, right? So all those things and really embracing it. I've heard of, you know, many years ago when I was around for some facilities when they were ready to roll out their EMRs and there were some nurses who were probably all ready to leave anyway, but there were some nurses that were like, you know what, this is too much for me. I can't do it. And they decided to leave the profession. Not a whole lot, but I mean, like I said, some of them were already pretty much close to retirement anyway. So definitely embracing that more. Now, when we talk about healthcare education, that's a whole other ball of wax in terms of when we talk about using technology, you know, some folks are saying, well, all right, we do use technology. We use PowerPoint. We use that all the time, you know, in our presentations and our lectures, right? So that's problem number one. We're still very much focused on lecture-based learning. As an educator in a health science in nursing, nursing is an applied science. So is medicine. So is physical therapy. So is occupational therapy. We need to activate our learners. We have to have them applying the knowledge. So we can't just keep on spewing out copious amounts of information and then just saying, okay, you know, yes, so now go do it. That is not how healthcare education really should be looking. We've turned that corner. I can speak at least for nursing education. I can't speak for medical education, although I've seen various articles about how they pretty much have the same situation where it's a lot of content. Some of it can be a little dry. Let's be honest, you know, just being very candid, the education that we have to go through, but we have to learn it, right? We have to learn it. But then perhaps as opposed to the educator feeling all this responsibility and accountability, perhaps we can put that more in the student's hands and make them the drivers of their own learning using various educational technology tools that will embrace a more active learning environment, as opposed to just using our lecture presentation software, using mobile learning, you know, integrating their mobile devices. They're all coming in with it. And at this point, it really doesn't make much sense for us to waste our time and energy to ask them to put away their devices. What I end up doing is I tell them the reverse. I tell them, take it out. Take out your devices. We're going to start doing some polling. I start throwing some polling questions in between a presentation. I throw in a game. There's a lot of online web-based gaming platforms that you can use for education purposes. Some of them definitely look like they are better suited for early elementary education. However, <laughs> adults love a good game. All adults love a good game. We all have some level, some type of competitive nature in us, and that definitely helps us in terms of retaining information and being more engaged in the classroom trying various types of online learning techniques that will keep your learner engaged. Pop-up questions in between your online learning if you have to deploy an online module, an e-learning module for your learners to take. Embedding video. Podcasting. I was reading something just yesterday out of Forbes that was saying that in 2008, 
just 12 years ago, podcasting, maybe only like 9% of people listen to podcasts like once a month. That number is up to 37%. So how can we even use a medium like this for educational purposes and not like dry type of like boring type of way, but making it engaging in a podcast format. There are some nursing schools that are having their students create their own podcast as a way for them to respond to certain discussion questions. If you're teaching in an online arena, perhaps using video or podcasting or audio for your students to respond to your discussion forums. Oftentimes in online learning, there's discussion boards and discussion forums and the endless discussion forums and the responses to the discussions, et cetera. So maybe these students, as opposed to typing all this out, can put it in a video, a brief video, keep it at a maximum of two minutes because as an educator, you don't want to be listening to 30-minute spiels per student, depending on how many students you have. You know, So there's a lot of ways that we can integrate technology where it's meaningful and it's purposeful and it makes sense. It engages the learner. And at the end of the day, you're going to have a learner that's, like I said, engaged. They're retaining the content and they're able to transfer that to patient care. On the Medical Nemesis podcast, I always advocate for students to be more proactive and use active learning styles and not passive learning styles. And often even sitting in the classroom is a passive learning style. You can make it a little bit more active by taking notes or possibly asking them the occasional question, but it's very low on the interactive scale. And for many students, and depending on the topic and how comfortable you are with it, your familiarity with it can be very dry, as you said. So implementing these different tactics are very useful for getting away from that lecture-based learning, getting more learner-centric. But I do wonder how some of these can be implemented more in clinical learning. It's a little bit more difficult to implement certain technologies when you're walking around from room to room. Do you have any thoughts on how you've seen that implemented? I'll be honest, that's actually a really good question. I've mainly been in the classroom arena. So as far as implementing and integrating educational technology in that sense. And so you're right, it is hard to be walking around as you're managing patients. And you know, these patients are also under your responsibility, your license. So you're paying attention to that more than anything else. I would imagine though, even, I don't know how medical education does it, I would imagine very similar, but I know in nursing, when we have our clinical rotations, we typically try to have a pre-conference and a post-conference. Now that is going to look very different in the age of COVID, where we're not going to be able to meet in these small groups like that anymore, or at least for the time being, giving them an assignment pre and post, right? Something to have them work on online with their, you know, whether it be with their devices or what have you, but something that's online where they can answer questions, whether it be via video or something like that. And then you as the educator can pick up on that and perhaps address it in an online space. That's probably one of the first things I would think of that would need to be augmented a bit. While you're walking around with the students, with patients, that's not really going to be something that is going to be top of mind for any educator because it's going to be the patients that's there since all these students are all under our license. Very true. I suppose the only way that I've really seen this so far to some degree is with the virtual patients so they can try to gain some clinical experience as well at home or for medical students still in their basic sciences before they get to their clinical years. But I don't see that used in a large number of educational environments so far. So maybe it's something that'll catch on, or maybe it's just something that a lot of administrators and educators aren't aware of, or the technology is just not there for everyone right now. I would have to agree. I think we're just still trying to 
get to a point where we're even integrating that in the classroom and now flex it to an in-person situation is going to be in the clinical realm. That's going to be quite interesting, but I know that there's definitely ways. So I'm wondering besides the games, or maybe those are some of the best ways, how can we make these assignments a little bit more entertaining, a little more engaging? Because that is often an issue is making students feel more engaged to certain material that is, as you said, very dry. Do you find that certain techniques work a little bit better? I know games can be fun and entertaining, but do you retain the same amount of information? Yeah, I think so. Because again, you have these intrinsic and extrinsic motivating factors that's going on while your learner is taking these games and participating in any of these active learning things. And it doesn't necessarily have to be loud noise making type of games or anything like that. It could even be, like I said, just simply putting in, you know, throwing in a question here and there in between content that they are asked to read, flipping the classroom. That's also something else that has been widely used. It's not new. Anything that I'm talking about is really not new. I think especially now, you know, folks really have had to realize that they have to get creative and start using some of these other methods that are thought of as kind of like outliers to start engaging their learner. Like I said, so even polling, like I mentioned, not necessarily a gaming type of thing, but throwing in some polls to start up a discussion with the learners and kind of get them moving, right? Like going back to flipping the classroom, like I had mentioned, assigning your learners, just kind of giving them very high level information on whatever the topic might be for that week or for that day or for that unit, you know, asking them, okay, go and figure this out and come back in whatever time frame the next day or in an hour, what have you, and, and let's be ready to have a discussion. What I had done at one point when I was teaching in the classroom setting with that six-hour capstone class, I had used a platform called Poll Everywhere. It's been around for many years. A lot of these platforms, by the way, that can engage our learners, they are free or they have free options because I know that in education, oftentimes there is this looming issue of a budget and, you know, oh, we can't, you know, afford to purchase all these high tech things. It's really a lot of the stuff is actually pretty low tech, to be quite honest, but it's just how you use them and how you integrate them. So with that class, I had a poll everywhere. And as opposed to having a separate tab open to open up Poll Everywhere and have, because Poll Everywhere is web-based and then you have your PowerPoint presentation. You're able to download the Poll Everywhere app into uh, PowerPoint. And so it made it quite seamless. And so I didn't have to toggle back and forth and I had my presentation and then a poll would pop up and then that would start another line of conversation. And then we'd go back to the discussion and then we'd start up with another poll and these could be things where it's a poll that comes up as like a bar graph. It could be something that comes up as a word cloud for the learners to kind of see that there's an emerging theme with what we're talking about. It could be construed in a number of ways. And so what ended up happening, interestingly enough, is that my students, they had to have their main project was called Hot Topics. They were given topics randomly. They were put into small groups and given topics to work on. And they had to come back and present it or teach the class about it. So we did topics such as joint commission, such as HCAP, such as Press Ganey. Because oftentimes, again, I can only speak for nursing students, there isn't that much emphasis on these areas in the clinical arena. Like I said, HCAPs, Press Ganey, these patient experience type of areas, which now that we're in a value-based system is super important for a new clinician coming out to understand the relevance 
and the gravity of these things. And so I've been away from the academic classroom for a little while now. So I'm not sure if some schools have been starting to implement that a little bit more, but it was definitely lacking just a few years ago. And so what we did was we turned the tables on the students and had them look into the research and had them realize how important it was so that when they go out into the clinical space, oh, okay, when we start talking about HCAPs, it won't be like when I was a new grad and I wasn't even hearing, I didn't even know what metrics we were looking at for patient experience. That wasn't even a thing when I started 18 years ago. So now you can have these nurses understand what it was. So what one of the groups did who had their hot topic, I think it was joint commission, they actually used poll everywhere as well. Because when I had used the polling feature, that was the first time, and these were senior nursing students, that was the first time that they had ever seen something interactive like that before. And this is in 2015, 2016. And they were completely taken aback when I launched it for them. And I said, why is this so surprising? What's the problem? Because I had already used it in professional development for a while. So I didn't really get what the whole big like, wow, what is this? The students were like totally blown away. And they said, well, no one's ever used something like this before. Like, this is great. And they instantly was able to turn it back on me and use it, you know, as they had to do their presentations. And so it really helped things to stick for them. I think that's an interesting point to bring up because I remember studying a lot of these different, you know, flipped classrooms and technologies over 10 years ago. They just have not really been implemented yet. And I'm wondering if I know a lot of the problem is people get comfortable with the way they teach and shaking that up can be very problematic. But it seems that maybe we need to get away from the idea of clinicians as educators and we need educators that happen to also be clinicians because we need that innovation and that professional development to enter the clinical education sphere in order to benefit the next generation of learners. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you definitely need to have something in your toolkit, in your arsenal. And a lot of it, you know, like you said, our brains are familiar. Our brains like comfort, right? Our brains don't like to do things that's not comfortable, right? So we gravitate towards, you know, lecture-based, for example, lecture-based education modalities, right? And we know that, you know, there was a nursing education blog that was written about something like, you know, what can kill people with many bullets and it's PowerPoint, right? Like, it's like, yes, in this, essentially there's nothing wrong with PowerPoint, the software, actually it's quite versatile and can do a lot of things that a lot of other presentation softwares can't do like Google slides and things like that. But what I'm saying is just kind of going straight to these electronic slideshows, as opposed to trying something different is a challenge. The mindset shift is the first thing that has to happen. And then also you have some folks that will, you know, when I've had this discussion with some folks, they'll say, well, you know, it's not all about the technology, you know, you need to, and that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you integrate it, we can't lose the pedagogy of it all, but we still need, I think anyway, a body there, a human to dismantle, you know, some of these concepts and things that we have to relate to our learners. But the tools, these tech tools, something that we didn't have if we're talking pandemic stuff, something that we didn't have in 1918 during the Spanish flu, right? So, you know, we have all these things at our fingertips and really it's just to take these tools to enhance that human, that person that's delivering all this information, just to enhance that so that we can have a more meaningful, memorable experience for everyone involved, not just the learner, even for the instructor, for everyone involved. Very true. You've mentioned Poll Everywhere a few times here. Do you have a few other resources that you would recommend? 
For polling, Poll Everywhere is a good one. Mentimeter is another cool one that I actually just learned about maybe about a month or so ago when I was on another webinar about educational technology in nursing education. What's cool about Mentimeter is that, and it's always best to kind of do this in like a visual format versus talking it through, but I won't go into too much of the weeds because it'll get complicated. But Mentimeter, a couple of cool things about that is that it is a polling software, but you can also create your content slides right in the Mentimeter platform. So versus Poll Everywhere, it just houses your polls. Like that's where your questions are, your polls are, that's where it's housed, that's where it is. And if you happen to have the application downloaded onto your PowerPoint or Google, I think you can download Poll Everywhere onto PowerPoint, Keynote, Google Slides, and Slack. So it's a seamless integration. You don't have to toggle back and forth. But you have to kind of download that app. With Mentimeter, you don't have to download anything. You're just on the website and you can create your content slides. Now, the content slides are not going to be full of cool templates like what Google Slides or PowerPoint has, but it's kind of there. You can add images, you can put video onto your slide or whatever, but then you can also make your polling slides right in one platform. So it's really desirable to have everything in one space. Also, Poll Everywhere, it is free, but for a limited number of responses, of learner responses, whereas Mentimeter, it's free but it's also with unlimited responses. So I think Poll Everywhere, it's like 40 responses is the limit. So if you're teaching to a large lecture hall type of thing or what have you, you're already done with, with Poll Everywhere. With Mentimeter though, it's unlimited responses that you can have. And of course, all of these features have paid options that give you more features, but I'm always of the mindset. Like I said, I know that budget, at least for nursing education, the budget is always like one of the top three things that leaders in nursing education are concerned about, well, you know, we can't put all this money towards it, what have you. So I try to look at the free options first and see what I can get out of that before having to say, well, maybe we should look into a premium package if we want to use it for this, this, that, and the third. So Mentimeter is another polling feature that I think is a really impressive tool for that area if you're talking about polling. I've used things as far as like video discussion and collaboration, you have VoiceThread which is used often in academia, but definitely can see an area in professional development and healthcare professions education, where it's basically an online discussion area where you can have your presentation, whether it be in slide form or even just you having some audio up there, but it's kind of in a slide. VoiceThread will call it a slide, even if it's like a video in a slide. And the innovative part of it is that your learners can comment, whether it be through audio, video, audio and video, or text or what have you, to the content in real time, but yet at the same time, it can be used asynchronously. VoiceThread is a bit more of a, of a steeper learning curve, but it's definitely useful. I've spoken to many folks that teach in academia, and they love VoiceThread. Flipgrid, another platform, is very similar to VoiceThread, but not so steep of a learning curve. You see Flipgrid used a lot in early education, but you can definitely use it in higher education as well. And it's the same concept. It's a video discussion platform and collaboration platform where if you have an online theme or a discussion, let's say you're talking about patient safety or patient experience, and you can have your learners submit a video and you as the educator can customize it to whatever time frame you want. Again, realizing if you have 18 learners, you don't want to have them all submitting five and 10 minute videos because that's going to be labor intensive for you as the educator. So thinking about it both ways having them submit X number of minute time frame of a video 
about the topic and then the other learners can comment on that topic. They can put emojis within their frame as they're talking or whatever, just to make it a little bit more fun. So that's another platform that can be used for online content. Some other things, Google Slides, it's been around any Google product, if an organization is able to use them. I know a lot of healthcare organizations, they have firewalls and blocks on certain outside and third-party areas. So Google products, as far as Google Slides, they have, it actually has a lot more features than I originally thought. I actually was not a huge fan of Google Slides before, but I'm becoming a bigger fan now as I see some of the functionality with all the Google products, Google Forms, Google Docs, even Google Slides. You can put add-ons onto Google Slides where you can make it interactive. And the cool thing about Google Slides is that, and any of the Google products anyway, is that when you make your edits, it's kind of done in real time. So your learners can see that at the same time. So no need to kind of go back and forth with opening a file and then making your edits, taking something out, putting something in, and then resending the file or re-uploading it or whatever. It just kind of changes in real time and you don't have to do anything else after that. So I like that feature about the Google products. I have a lot of things in my toolkit that I kind of break out from time to time. So I'm just kind of thinking through some other ones. Not a problem. I know Kahoot and Quizlet are two that I've used in the past just to sort of gamify the flashcard experience, which is pretty common in medical student studies. And with all of these different technologies, and it might seem a little bit overwhelming for educators. So I would say if there are any listening, maybe put it upon yourself to just learn one system a week or even a month and just start to slowly implement these into your educational practice. And then it won't seem so overwhelming and you'll get the benefit of the active and engaging aspects of these tools. Because I think what happens is, and I was speaking to a former colleague of mine who is a vice president of nursing education, and we had this discussion and it's not that educators, you know, you do have some healthcare educators that are averse to just change period. They don't want to change. They're fine. They're comfortable with their, you know, with their whiteboard and they're writing on, you know, you have those folks. You have other folks that are more open to change, open to integrating or using the technology. And that's two different things, right? Using it and integrating the technology in our education, healthcare education are two very different things. So you have some educators that are okay with using them and okay with integrating them, but get overwhelmed. They can't make it over that next step. Okay, so they know about a platform and they're like, all right, now what? And then it just gets way too overwhelming. And then again, our brain just goes right back to what's comfortable. Let me go back to what I know. Even those of us that are on the speaking circuit. So, you know, I do a lot of presentations. I've done national presentations. I'll, I've already submitted my video for an international presentation for a nursing honor society that unfortunately we were supposed to be meeting in Abu Dhabi next week, but that had to be rearranged to a virtual conference. So, oh, well. So I do a lot of presentations on the national scene. And oftentimes I'm like, okay, do I have to use PowerPoint? Like, can I use something else? But oftentimes you're kind of relegated to use things like PowerPoint because it's a safer option because oftentimes these conference places don't have good Wi-Fi or good bandwidth. And all that stuff needs to start changing. Like I might go off on my own little soapbox here, but I just have no idea why we're in 2020 and we're still having an issue with bandwidth. I just don't get it. So, and especially in these conference areas, I was so tired of hearing, oh, well, you know, unless you're a keynote, typically I'd be speaking in like the concurrent sessions, unless you're a keynote, you know, we can't promise you Wi-Fi for in 2020. But anyway, that was my soapbox. 
but oftentimes we're, so we're relegated to using things like PowerPoint that's, you know, that's not web dependent, so to speak. So I can't even use other areas, like other platforms that are web-based where I can simulcast my presentation. Like there's another platform called Zedings that I chanced upon randomly in an ad that was coming up at the side of my laptop one day at the side of my computer screen. And I'm like, oh, what's Zedings? It's pretty much a way to simulcast your presentation to your learners. It's used typically in corporate business arenas, but you can definitely use it in education as well so that you have what's on your screen appears on their devices. And so I wanted to use that. Of course, I'm using about educational technology. Of course, I'd want to use that in my presentations. But if I decided to do that, that would be at my own risk, you know? Definitely, I think your advice is a great idea. Just taking it one little chunk at a time will make it seem a lot more palatable. And hopefully we can do this going forward and giving them these great resources. And in case they want to find out more about you and what you're doing right now, where can we send the audience? So you can send your audience to a number of places. I am on LinkedIn all the time. That is my prime social media areas. I can always send you these links if you have any show notes as far as getting to LinkedIn, getting to my profile. I'm also on Twitter and on Facebook. Twitter, I'm at ProDevoDC. That's my Twitter handle. Facebook, you can find me under ProDevo Design and Consulting. LinkedIn, you can probably find the same thing or just under Renee Davis. Probably Renee Davis would be the quicker route to find me on LinkedIn. Also, my website, www.prodevogroup.com. I can be found there as well. Great. Yes, we'll definitely add links to those in the show notes. And I want to thank you again, Renee Davis, for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Chase, for having me. I think like we discussed when we first connected, it's important for the different healthcare genres. You know, we're taught in silos, right? You know, you done the medical school route. I did the nursing school route. You have OT, you have PAs, you have NPs. All of us are in our silos. And then it's kind of like a horse race. You know, we come out the gates and then we're all supposed to like work together and figure out how to scramble together. And that's challenging, right? And so I think that's why a lot of, at least I've seen in my experience in nursing professional development that we started doing with my prior employer, we were doing a lot of interprofessional training and things like that. So I think it's important that we understand each other. And funny enough, we have a lot of things in common as far as healthcare education goes and how we can make that better for our learners, especially our new grads that's coming out that's of a totally different generation, a generation that knows nothing outside of technology and tapping away and swiping away. So we really have to get in line and be ready for them. I definitely agree. Well, thank you again. Thank you, Chase. Our Med Student Mentor Facebook group is a great place to gain insights and ask questions. This group is full of students and educators to guide you through your clinical rotations and ask your clinical questions. So search for the Med Student Mentor Facebook group now and learn how to become the clinician or educator that you want to be.